Hey, it's good to see all of you. My, you know, some of you are very new to me, but there's about 40, 50 people on this thing today. And uh, so I'm really uh, glad to see a, a lot of some familiar faces, but it's good to hear the church is uh, doing kind of well, considering all of us have become Zoom zombies in the last little while. So yeah, it's good. It's good. And, uh, you know, Howard Ng, there you are. This guy's been emailing me constantly about doing something with you guys in the new year. So blame him if things go wrong next year. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to, to being with you. It, I'm excited. I, I love being here. You know, I, I love seeing um, all, all of you. You know, you don't get to see a lot of people these days on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good just to be able to fellowship together. Let me just give you a quick, uh, before I get into the message, uh, update on what's happening at UGM because uh, I know the church is, is, has been a supporting church and still supporting and maybe many of you are doing the same as well. We are so thankful that you are continually helping us at, at UGM. Uh, yeah, just like any other church, we've been impacted very deeply by what's been happening. Um, we are certainly not allowing folks to access our building to receive any uh, direct one-on-one -on -one or case management work at this time. But what we are doing is we are still putting out 200 meals a day, two hot meals each day, breakfast and also lunch. And um, to say it the least, those meals have become even more significant in the last uh, few months since March, simply because a lot of our folks are um, suffering even more so with the pandemic. Um, so continue to pray for us. Pray for the safety of our team. Um, we've had one setback in our UGM team, and some of you may know Edith Tazumi. Edith uh, is my supervisor. Uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer just a couple, of, just about a month ago, and she's on leave right now and going through uh, recovery from surgery, and she'll enter chemotherapy and radiation. We're not sure she'll return. We're anticipating she'll come back, but pray for Edith and her family. Uh, in these very difficult days, we've had to really scramble uh, and re rearrange our staffing and everything else to um, fill the gap for now. But these are the days that we're being challenged and um, things are different. Things are very different. Um, so thanks for being there for us. I look forward to um, uh, seeing uh, many of you in the new year uh, for a few months there as we do some training. And uh, you'll hear more about that if you haven't yet. And uh, certainly, um, just, well, just, I'm just grateful for all of you. It's, uh, we have a good, re I've always had a good relationship with your church and um, Pastor Doug has been brave enough to ask me to share with you uh, this morning. And uh, yeah, I wanna echo too, Vivian, uh, that was a lovely, lovely uh, introduction. I'm almost, I'm almost tempted to hire you to be my official welcomer wherever I go. You got a full-time job there, sister. I think that was just great. I felt so much at home just listening to you. I was hoping you'd even offer some shortbread cookies while you're going to do that. Wow, that was just fantastic. So <clears throat> that's great. Well, can I just uh, open with a quick word of prayer as um, we're going to just delve into a very interesting passage, which you may have thought, what in the world? But let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for um, this, these moments. Thank you for these wonderful folks that I haven't seen for quite a while, and many are new to me as well. But I thank you for this church, for the leadership, Pastor Doug and Je Jess and the family and all the other families and people that have, are committed. You're committed to hanging together. You're committed to what you have asked us to do. 
And so we just pray that, Lord, you would preach this message this morning. You would give us the lessons that we need to learn and send us on our way this day, but maybe with a new commitment to honor you in a very special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know what it is with these pastors, but whenever I go and speak in a church, they don't give me normal passages to speak on. And I have figured it out, dear friends, that when they ask me to come, that's my job, is to take the most intriguing passages that are just blowing your mind, <laughs> Romans 16, 1 to 23, and try to figure this thing out. So uh, I've been wrestling with, what am I going to do with this thing? Because I've, I've read it many times, and I'm going, oh boy, you know, um, lots of names, and, and what is really what you're trying to tell us through this whole thing? And so <clears throat> when you look at Romans chapter 16, folks, it's not exactly uh, the most exciting text to read, isn't it? I don't know if any of you even decide you'd like to read it just to get ready for today. But uh, I'm already learning that, um, you know, there's a, there's a risk in this, in this text that many of you might uh, put me on mute after the first three verses. So, <laughs> and if you do so well, <laughs> that's on you. <laughs> that's on you and the Lord. <laughs> but anyways, you know, what's really interesting about this text is it consists mostly of Paul's greeting to a long list of people in Rome. And when you first look at it, you kind of uh, wonder, you know, what in the world uh, can I get out of this whole thing except remembering and trying to even pronounce some of these interesting names. Now, Paul sends greetings to, to you know, people with strange names, <laughs> uh, Simon, <laughs> you know, Ampliatus, Urbanus, uh, Tryphene, uh, Asyncritus, sounds like a, a, a drug, Astacus, <laughs> and et cetera, et cetera. And to make matters worse, we don't really know a whole lot about these folks, do we? I mean, just think about it. That was the last time you met Urbanus. <laughs> but most of them are never mentioned again anywhere else in the New Testament. Anyone who's ever written a letter understands what Paul is doing in chapter 16. He's basically finished everything he wants to say to the Romans. But since he has lots of friends in the church, he scribbles off a few lines of greetings to as many people as he can fit in onto this little the, the parchment that he was writing on. Now, we do the same thing when we write letters. As you come to the bottom of a page of a letter you might be writing, you start to realize, uh oh, the bottom is coming and now you start to try to cram in things, right? You no longer want to get mushy and you don't want to start writing all your sentiments. You realize I've only got this much space so I want to cram what I want to say into the last uh, few lines that's available to you in your letter. You know, like tell Aunt June, I love her dress or Frank tried to call you last night but no one was home. Give Neil a hug and tell him that this time he better stay on that diet. <laughs> Have to run, <laughs> love to all. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes we get caught in that kind of a thing. Seen in that light, this chapter offers us a very rare snapshot of early Christianity. And behind this list of unpronounceable names stands a bedrock truth about the opportunity and how God is empowering his church to change today's world in light of COVID-19. Let me give you the first thing I wanted to just give you that's reflected in verse one and two is a real personal glimpse into the heart of this man, Paul. I don't know what you think about him. How would you describe him? What words would you use to uh, you know, describe this guy, Paul? 
serious, brilliant, logical, studious, thoughtful, dedicated, driven, committed, no nonsense, determined, etc., etc. Maybe you know people that are just like that. All those words fit the usual picture we have from the man of Tarsus. If you read his letters, he doesn't seem to be the kind of man you'd like to invite to your home to watch the NFL or uh, NHL. You know, you know, he just wouldn't be the guy that's that sports-minded fanatic like other people are. In fact, before inviting him over for supper, you probably will grab a theology book or a last uh, sermon that he preached on just so you could sit and uh, get along with him before you pull the hot dog buns out of the oven. If he had a sense of humor, it seems to be really well hidden. You certainly didn't want to get into an argument with him, that's for sure, especially over Bible things. But Romans chapter 16 reveals a very different side to the great apostle. And here we discover one of the things that I love most about people I hang around with. He was the kind of person that was had a heart for people, had a heart for people. In this chapter, he mentions 33 people by name including 26 people in the church at Rome. And he also mentions two others in Rome, but does not name them. This fact is amazing when you realize that Paul had never been to Rome and he's writing to a church he had never visited. And he sends greetings to 28 different people. We all know how important it is for someone to remember our name, don't we? Can you imagine how exciting it was for these first century Roman Christians to come to the end of this incredible letter and just really greet them, to remember them, to actually have someone that's referring to them. We all know how important it is for people to remember our name, right? Someone has said that nothing is sweeter to a person than the sound of his or her name. The same is true of a written letter. I got one of these letters actually I want to tell you about. Have you ever gotten this letter? And it's, it's a huge envelope and right on the front it says occupant or neighbor. Now, you know one thing about that letter. They could care less about you. They just sent you a letter and they didn't know what to say. So they put occupant on the front. I know that's not a personal letter. So what do I do with it? I filed it in file 13. It's better known as my garbage can. <laughs> Interesting. The same is true though, sometimes when we engage with people, when we see them. If I get a letter, with my name on it, I'm going to open it. It's a wonderful feeling to enter a large room where you feel like a stranger and suddenly so you hear someone call your name. And when you turn and you see a friendly face, it changes everything. Paul understood that principle and he applied it every day. Now I've already uh, mentioned that we don't know details on many of these people, but here's an example of what we do know. The first person mentioned was not a man. It was a, actually a woman. Her name was uh, Phoebe. And, and what we know about Phoebe was that she was a businesswoman who dealt with legal matters. She was a deaconess at a local church in St. Crea, and she had the gift of helping, and she really assisted many Christians, including the Apostle Paul. Did you know that? He told the Christians in Rome to help her as much as possible in her legal business. Christians should always be ready to offer a helping hand to other saints because all Christians are one in Christ. And I've heard that this morning in much of the pre in the worship service. 
The church at Rome included rich and poor, slaves, Jews and Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, forgotten house churches, and members of the imperial household, and Paul knew them all by name. So how could that be how could that be since he had never been to a place called Rome? Evidently, he met them in his travels and he remembered them in his prayers. You see, when Paul greets someone, it's all inclusive rather than exclusive. He doesn't pick and choose who he wants to talk to. Because everyone that comes into his life is a divine appointment. Do you see people that come into your life for five minutes, maybe 10 seconds? Do you see them as divine appointments? Or are they just people that uh, happens to walk into your path and you just maybe smile at them if they can even see you through your mask? <laughs> but how do you relate to people? It's a window into the soul of Paul. Despite his tough, rough exterior and maybe academic, academic posture, Paul was a complete uh, people person. Okay. Now I've built a little foundation for you and I'm going to get to my point, believe you me, okay? There's only one or two things I want to share with you in terms of the lessons, but I think that unless you hear and see where I'm going with this, you may not understand what I'm trying to get at. The second thing I want to share with you is this. I want to draw your attention to verse 16 because I want us to understand this fresh, like have a fresh look at something called a holy kiss. The end of our passage ends with a command, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now the holy kiss is mentioned five times in the New Testament. And I won't tell you all the passages, you can find them all out. Uh, Peter in First uh, Peter 5.14 calls it the kiss of love. Now, without understanding this in a proper context, there can be the possible risk of this being misunderstood and you and I being open to be seen as possibly violating another person, which would rapidly take us to court <laughs> and probably land us in jail. <laughs> so we have to understand the context of something called this holy kiss. And we need to understand it because I believe it's still a connecting factor in what Jesus wants you and I to do today, especially in the midst of a pandemic. You've got to understand their culture and you have to understand what was going on that time. So the key here is not that pucker up and smooch stuff. The key here is the word holy. All right, so try to keep that in the back of your minds. Okay, I'm not here to teach you how to pucker up. I'm here to teach you and share with you what that it can mean to you in terms of how you relate to others in the name of Christ. In the Bible, the holy kiss was a sign of love, respect, friendship, and honor. It was a mark of innocent affection. We can see numerous examples of this sort of kiss in the scriptures. Jacob kissed his father, Genesis chapter 27. Laban kissed Joseph, Genesis chapter 29. Esau kissed Jacob, Genesis 33. Joseph kissed his brethren, Genesis chapter 45. Aaron kissed Moses, Exodus 40, chapter 4. Moses kissed, kissed Jethro, his papa-in-law, Exodus 18, Naomi kissed Ruth and Orpah, Ruth chapter 1. David kissed Jonathan, 1 Samuel 20. The father kissed the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. So I'm just giving them all to you to understand that there's a lot of this kissing going on in the scriptures. 
Apparently, though, this was a widely practiced, uh, widely practiced thing in the few centuries of the Christian church. We're told that during the worship service, there would be a time of greeting in which the men would kiss the men and the women, the woman on the cheek or on the forehead, or in the case of the men, on the beard. <laughs> Gross <laughs> for some of us. <laughs> but it was a sign of intense family relationship in the early church. They just they didn't just talk about being a family. They were a family, and the holy kiss served as a symbol of their love for each other. The early Christians felt that the holy kiss signified innocent affection. There was nothing sensuous or inappropriate about it. It was a common cultural greeting that the early Christians adopted, and it gave a deeper meaning as a sign of their unity in Jesus Christ. Okay, so you got to understand context, and you have to understand association, and you also understand the manner by which they did things. There are still cultures today that practice the holy kiss, but in our society today, any sort of touch is cautiously measured against the intentions of the person who is expressing it. Now, with COVID-19, folks, I guess it's helped uh, to a certain uh, extent to minimizing this concern. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, being created as, as humans that seek connection, there is a huge still need, there's a still a huge need for the traditional handshake or hug that all of us need. And hopefully we will be able to return to that uh, in the near future. So here we are in the 21st century, and Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. This is a tough thing today, isn't it? This is really tough. I have to catch myself sometimes because I've been known to be a huggy bear, and if I walk over someone, I go, whoa. So this to my own staff, I got to go, whoa. I've got to stop, and they go, yeah, <laughs> back, back, you know. It's a tough thing today. So what does that mean in these days where physical connection is definitely limited? to those in our small bubbles? And what does that also mean for the church today on how it figures out how to be still effective in reaching out to our communities and ministering to the uh, to others that God places in our path of living? How do we do this now? Like, like you know, how do we connect? This is what I basically saying. How do we make it happen? How do we make a difference? How do we do the thing that God wants us to do with those people that he brings into our lives? Well, let me give you a, a challenge here. The third thing I want to share with you is the need for a renewed perspective on Jesus. Now, hold that radical thought just for a moment and ask why the holy kiss was so important in the early church. The answer leads us to a renewed view of Jesus. In the time of Christ, many of the gods of Greece and Rome were philosophic concepts. Deities were very far removed from mankind, that no one could ever come close. Not that much different in the way many people think of God today, that he's way out there, he's a space ghost, he's an old man in the rocking chair throwing light ball, light, light thunderbolts down on you when he's mad at you, etc., etc., etc. The Old Testament also records how the people of Israel had to go through the priesthood to have any access to God. For many religions, God is an abstract concept rather than a personal God, a relationship. And I always tell people I'm not religious because I, I don't have a religion. I have a relationship, a living relationship with God. And that's real. 
I don't have this thing called religion, and I don't have this concept of just being spiritual. The Old Testament made it really tough for people to get at close to God just because of their view of him. And also, this is what God had required in the Old Testament. The Gnostics taught that God could never come in contact with human flesh. He was too high, too pure, too holy, and much of the religions of today teach that same view of God. And into that world, though, and into this, that world came the touchable God, a little baby. See his little hands, his tiny feet, his wrinkled forehead, and his chubby cheeks. See him feeding at Mary's breasts. She carries him in her arms. He is the touchable God. My son and his wife uh, made Auntie Jean and myself uh, grandparents back in September. And I guess I used to be one of these guys that always said that we relied too much on high tech. But today, I have to change my whole mind on that. I'm grateful for things like FaceTime. While I'm even giving you this message, my son is trying to send me the 35 pictures of his little girl that's now my granddaughter. Now, I think that's rather good, honorable, a little bit over the top though for me, <clears throat> and not for my wife. She thinks it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But you know, you get these pictures and you see this little munchkin, or see right now it's happening already. <laughs> you know, you get this little picture of this creature that we can't see right now because of COVID. But it reminded me of what a wonderful gift that God gave us in Jesus. And Jesus came as a touchable God, where in the Old Testament, he was untouchable. And when I see that, it tells me of the responsibility and the privilege I have every day to represent the touchable God by finding whatever way it takes to be touchable, to be in touch. Uh, BC Tell, which is now called Telus, used to have a real interesting commercial, uh, reach out and touch somebody. That was most intriguing. And in today's society, uh, with even with Zoom and whatever, Facebook and FaceTime and all these wonderful things, I, I have seen that decrease a lot. And I'm kind of sad by that because People don't get moved by a Zoom lens. They don't feel anything because I've got my uh, iPhone 11 that pulsates only when it wants to reach somebody. Jesus, when he came, he was the word that was made flesh and he dwelt among us. And that was when God <clears throat> decided he needed another approach to us. And I'm grateful. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm grateful that God felt like he needed to come to us. Did you know that God, that Jesus is the only God that reaches down to man? All the other religions and cults force and encourage and challenge us to do something to reach God. But God reached, has reached down to us. We are his people. The church is his body. We do him no justice when we put up a sign that says, stay away, do not touch, I want my space. 
strange as it may seem when we greet one another with a holy kiss or holy hug, whatever that means to you, we are reenacting the very heart of our Christian faith. We are a touchable people because we are children of a touchable God. Do you see Jesus as touchable? What is your experience with one who's called living God? So here is, after all this, my challenge to you. <clears throat> As I wrap up my message with a challenge, I want, it seems to me that we desperately need to recapture the dynamic of the early church. Even the pagans said of them, behold, how they love one another. <coughs> Excuse me, he's going to take a drink of water. Something is jumping in here. So why is um, touching so important? <clears throat> we talk and talk, but the message doesn't come through. Almost all of us can say it's better with a hug or some form of expression that involves physical contact. When you hug someone, when you put a friendly arm around or a shoulder, when you greet someone with a holy kiss, you are sending a message that can't be missed. I care about you. You're not alone. We're in this together. And if we can't say that in church, where can we say it? And if we're embarrassed to say that as a church, then why are we here in the first place? Now, obviously we can't do that all the time anymore. Not right now. We don't, we're not together in a building. But you know, the church is not the building. It's not the facility. And I'm asking pastors of churches today, <coughs> excuse me, are we going to just mope around and wait till the building gets sanitized? Are we going to wait for the vaccine? Are we going to wait for COVID-19 to disappear? Or are we going to continually be the church or are we just interested in doing church? I don't um, enjoy the, the lack of handshake. I don't enjoy not getting a hug because that's the way I'm wired. And that's a real important part of who I am and what I get from it too, because there's a lot of messages that are given. But today we just don't risk that because of COVID. So what do I do? <clears throat> well. I have something called a tree outside my house. This tree is mercilessly, mercilessly dropping leaves every year in front of my lawn. Do I like that? No, not exactly my best way of spending weeks and weeks of you know, raking up God's creation and throwing them into a garbage can. But the other tool I get given is a rake. And when I'm out there raking, and I also was blessed with one of those uh, blowers or sucks up things. I'm out there for four hours, believe it or not, at the age of 65, I'm out there for four hours. And there are hordes of people that walk by. Those that live in my cul-de-sac, they walk by. Some have some wisdom, some have some encouragement, and some have some great sense of humor asking why at the age of 65 are you doing something silly as that? But you know what happens? We start to talk for the first time in a long time. So the rake and the tree and the leaves with God's creation and a whole bunch of hemoglobins that walk by me, we start to talk. And guess what I get to ask them? How are you doing? And they say, 
not so good. I'm not working because of COVID. Oh, so how you, how's it going? How you deal with that? And they said, we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow. I don't know if there's any hope. I said, you know something? I, I thought that through too. And I, and I said, you know, I, I have had to wrestle with that. But I have hope. Now, I don't have a Bible. I'm not carrying all this stuff in my head to say now the chance to just jump on this guy and let him know what for is going to hell. I just tell him about Jesus. Five minutes, four minutes, doesn't matter. Just a word. Because I know when I'm out there next weekend, he'll be coming by again. And it's amazing. There's been 30 people that I have talked to in the last three weeks that I never would have talked to, and they live next door to me. And what do we talk about? Why? Where's God? And for the first time, I never thought I'd ever talk to these people. You, you see, all I'm saying to you is this, that not, that not that I'm super spiritual. I'm telling all of us need to focus on who's around us. Be intentional. Because the God's church does not sit and die because of COVID-19. And you don't do the same. You got people. Vivian's starting a new job I hear. That's the rumor. Which I know is fact. Because she said so. But it's about saying, okay, why am I going in this time of life? Why am I moving into a new job? Is it just to get a new job? No. Vivian's going to have an opportunity that God's given her to run into a whole bunch of human beings that she's maybe never done before. And she just may be the answer that some people have for hope. What do meals at UGM represent? Well, they're great meals. I got two good cooks. But often a meal gives some, sometimes a homeless person the reason to get up tomorrow morning to live another day. You see, if we don't think about these things in the context of the needs of other people, guess what? COVID-19 sucks. I can't go and play my sports anymore. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm just going to mope around. And until somebody comes up with some answer for me, that I'm going to be unhappy. And I'm going to make life miserable for you too, because I hate it. That's an excuse. That's why Paul greeted people. That's why he took time to focus on people. And I'm not saying that you're not, but maybe some of us maybe just are stuck in the rut of kind of kind of figure out COVID rather than take advantage of the blessing that COVID is giving us. And that is an opportunity to maybe slow down life and have a look. God's church is not about going to church, it's being God's church. We got to get over feeling sorry for ourselves, folks. And to, to leave, hoping we get our world of conveniences that have been disrupted and focusing on who we are. We are the hope that God is. It's not about running church programs all over again. We are the program. Jesus called you. He didn't call a Sunday school manual or some sort of alpha program. Those are tools. He called you. You're the program. You're the main thing that we get that God has asked to represent him in this world to give hope. I have had to, I've re, uh, reconnected with my best man I haven't talked to in 30 years. And now we have made a commitment that, and I put in this big thing on my wall that says, call Ian. So every two weeks we take turns calling each other just to encourage one another, 
and then I got a whole list of other people's, their birthdays and everything. You know, it, that's ministry. That's greeting. That's connecting. That's a new, that's a, 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 a new approach to sharing the love of God. I was at Superstore this morning, believe it or not. Yeah, Pastor Bill goes to Superstore. Seven this morning. And I was wandering around the store and, and, and people were staring at me and I was staring at them and we kind of meandered back and forth. And, and then I finally ran into someone that I hadn't seen in 25 years. Couldn't believe it. He said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, same thing you're doing here. And he said, wow, Pastor Bill, you're at Superstore. Yeah, yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I gotta eat too. <laughs> so, but, and I asked him, how are you doing? He says, I have cancer. Oh. So what did I do with the few minutes I had? I said, hey, brother, standing in the cookie aisle, can I pray for you? He said, I haven't had anyone pray for me in a long time. So I prayed for him. And now I got his phone number. And now I'm staying in touch with him. You, you see, it isn't a matter of you and I always looking for someone to help. If we're open to helping someone, God will bring people to you in your life. Max Lucado said that God will, will come to you or the God will listen to you when you're prepared to go to him. All right? Instead of us kind of waiting for this big meteor right to hit us over the heads. Let's not take for granted the relationships that God has given us. There's so many lonely people out there. There's so many hurting people out there. And maybe you're the one that will just be that extra light bulb that says there's, there's a hope. There's a man named Jesus. Well, I'll leave you one more verse and then I'm finished. And I hope that maybe we've been able to carve out of Romans chapter 16, verse 1 to 16, a very valuable lesson, especially for today in the midst of a pandemic. That is interesting. I didn't see, tell this earlier to you, but when Paul was writing this letter, guess where he was? He was in jail. And he's handcuffed to a Roman SWAT member. And he's ministering to people in, in, a, in an enclosed, captured environment. Well, that don't you feel like that some days? You can't go out. You can't do this. You can't, right? Well, he was in a prison. You have a lot more freedom than he, uh, he did. He's in a prison. And he's knocking, it, he's knocking it out of the park for Jesus. John 13, verse 35 to, 34 to 35 says this. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. That's how they start to understand where you're coming from. One last boast I have for you. You know the leaves outside? I decided to do something even more crazier than just do my own lawn. I actually went and did the neighbor's lawns because he's, he's in Mexico for five, six weeks and he's gonna be coming back. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how he's gonna feel when he comes back and wonders where all the leaves are gone? I thought that was so cool until the wind blew all the leaves back onto my tree, onto his lawn. Okay, so life goes on. God bless you guys. Thanks for allowing me to have some time with it today. I think just super. And if you weren't blessed, well, too bad. I was. And so, Pastor Doug and family and church, get out there. Let's share God's love. It can be done. And it can be done very simply by 
making yourself available, connecting, and giving someone a holy kiss. But don't go puckering up and smooching all over them. That's gross. Connect with them. Okay? Thank you.